Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography, maybe you need drone footage from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. You can also hear previous episodes of Radio Days, the podcast there as well. Interviews I've done with Dick Purton, Chuck Santoni, John O'Leary, Jill Forthythe, so many others. Uh, you can also check out the online merch store. Get your Radio Days, the podcast, hats, shirts, and other merch all that can be found at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, a quick reminder, a documentary about the history of terrestrial radio, Radio Days 101 Years of Radio, is coming later this year. If you are, uh, if you are I should say, or ever have been a, a fan of radio, you're going to love this movie. Also, if you'd like to help out and become a producer for this documentary, click on the Patreon or PayPal links. And also, as I just mentioned, you can help out by picking up some Radio Days merchandise at our online store uh, on Shopify and ronrobinsonstudios.com. Well, my guest today, I'm, I'm super excited about today, is it's someone who has helped thousands of people, thousands of would-be broadcasters, including myself, uh, while he was an instructor at Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts, where he served as director of education. He spent 10 years at the broadcast school, also an alum. Um, and much like myself, this gentleman has made the pivot from the audio side of broadcasting to the video side, which we will discuss during this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so very excited to welcome one of my first mentors in broadcasting, Mr. Donald Walker. How are you, sir? I am doing well, Ron. How are you? It's been a long time. I'm doing fantastic. It's so good to hear your voice. Same, sir. Same. I, I'm so proud of everything that you've done thus far and everything you're going to do. Well, they say it's an extension of, uh, you know, your, your teachers and, uh, you were, you were one of my first teachers at, at specs. Um, before we, uh, get started into your illustrious career in radio as, as, as well as teaching at specs and beyond, um, the first thing I ask people, Donald, is what were you listening to on the radio when you were growing up? What, what are your earliest memories of, of radio? Oh my gosh. My earliest memories of radio. I was a little weird, I think, uh, thanks to. Uh, my mom growing, having me grow up on a lot of adult contemporary music. So I like the softer sound of radio. So uh, was it Alan Allman's Pillow Talk back then? Oh, yeah. I used to love listening to that. And then Johnny Smooth Edwards on WJLB. He was, uh, let's just say, the urban version of Pillow Talk. Those were my two favorites uh, to listen to. As a matter of fact, I when I first got into radio, I tried to pattern myself after Johnny Smooth Edwards. That was an abysmal failure. Should never try and do uh, something like that. But um, the electrifying mojo was another. And then from there, I began to uh, just listen to uh, a lot of right around that time, mixing made its way to on air. So I was listening to a lot of the DJs with their scratching and cutting and what kids may still refer to as mashups now, but we just call them mixes. And I was creating mixtapes and things of that nature uh, back during that time. But uh, Pillow Talk, Johnny Smooth Edwards, Electrifying Mojo. Well, were you, were, you a, were you a card-carrying member of the Midnight Funk Association? I love that. 
absolutely, I would go to my front porch and I would flick my lights on and off to let everybody know. You know, there was even at that time there was really no one on the radio like like him, and he's he's such a mystique. I mean, I've tried to tried to find him doing this movie. I'd love to have him in my movie, but he's like a ghost. He's disappeared. I had the pleasure of working with him when I first started here in Detroit. I was at uh, 90, Mix ninety two uh, FM when it first flipped over from New Age to Urban. And Mojo had worked his way down the dial to that particular station. I was working weekends, overnights, and part of my job would also be to come in and produce Mojo's show, uh, which really wasn't a lot of work because it was wow. a self-produced show. He, he, he did most of the work. I really just ran and grabbed albums. But uh, it was just an awesome honor. Was to that your first studio. job in radio, Donnie? No, my first job in radio was actually not on air. It was at... Um, uh, 105.9 KISS FM with Paul Christie, who was my program director, and he was a big on-air guy back then, 40 hours a week. But I was just doing anything and everything in the radio station, working in all the departments except being on the air. And then later, um, talking to Dick Kernan, God rest his soul, uh, he got me my first on-air job in Grand Rapids at 93.7 FM WJFM, Classic Hits. Uh, that was phenomenal five days a week every other saturday on air from uh 10 to noon uh spinning classic oldies from the 50s 60s and 70s for some reason i always played music that was at least 20 years older than what i was at the time but i enjoyed it every minute that's too cool so that was fresh out of specs you got that job at gr uh about a six months six to eight months later yep Wow, and so you're going going from specs, which you it was this. Now we're talking 1987, correct? Uh, closer to 88. 88. So we grad. You started in 87 at specs. You graduated in 88, and you're working in Grand Rapids. And you know, it's not Detroit, but Grand Rapids is a, a, at the time. I think it was top 50 market. No, it was a medium market. I, I was really excited about the fact that I quote unquote never went to a small market. I went straight into medium market radio, and then later to large market when I came back here to Detroit. Um, but I, I will never give up my Grand Rapids experience for anything in the world. And it saddens me, unfortunately, that technology has eliminated the overnight position and the weekend position in some regards, um, because that's where you cut your teeth. That's where you had the most fun. Nobody's in the station looking over your shoulder. You can experiment, you can play, you can, you, you, you gather your own listeners because of those late night owls and, yeah. Some that were a little on the side, you know what I mean? But it was it, it's a fantastic experience. And it's always been like that. I, 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 for my movie, um, the, the legendary Dick Purton sat down with me, and he told a story about when he was hired at Keener. They offered him the, 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 the like two or three prime slots, and he turned them down. He didn't accept the job at Keener until he got the overnights because he thought he could do that do stuff at overnight that he couldn't do on those other shifts. Right, and it, the electrifying mojo. He was overnight. Come on, you're you're. It's it's crazy that that doesn't happen anymore. Well, you know, it's it's. I think we had it better then because we didn't have these major corporations owning so many different radio stations underneath one wheelhouse. You had families. You had you know smaller organizations owning one radio station, and that allowed for a lot more involvement and personality and the, our, our world was different then, you know? Um, and I, and I, I think our world would serve better and our communities would serve better if we had more 
localized radio than what we currently experience now. But it it's a it's a global world now. So your first gig. So what were you doing? What what, what shift did you get? Or was it it was it wasn't on air? Was it or was it? No, the the first gig that was not on air here locally with Paul Christie at, at uh, Kiss uh, one hundred five point nine. Uh, it was I don't know what you would call me. I I, I was. Just called me at a departmental assistant. I worked in production. I worked uh, in programming. I worked in promotions to a lesser degree. I always stayed away from sales. I hated sales. Uh, so, That's definitely an acquired worked, taste. Sales is. It is. It is. I mean, God, you know, God bless all the salespeople of the world because without them, we didn't get paid. But um, I was the, on the creative side, and I loved production. As a matter of fact, at one hundred five point nine, I produced. Um, I wanted to try and get a sports show on the air and Paul Christie was kind enough to let me give it a shot. And I, I was, I, I, I finagled myself an interview with the Detroit lions, Lomas Brown. And I remember driving out there with my big, you know, cassette recorder and microphone attached with an XLR cable out to, um, you know, uh, I think it was Allen park. Yeah. And Lomas Brown was there. And uh, obviously people can't see me because it's a podcast, but I'm a pretty big guy. I'm about six feet, you know, half inch. And, you know, even back then, you know, 250, 225, something like that. I'm a pretty big guy. When I tell you that when I met Lomas Brown, he was sitting down and when he stood up to greet me, it took him about two minutes to fully stand. The man just kept standing and standing. He was this giant of an individual. Um, and when he shook my hand, I lost my hand in his. Yeah. He's huge, but he was as nice oh. as his, he was a big man. And he sat there and talked to me for, I want to say, nearly an hour. He is just and a class act. I've spent some time with Lomas Brown. There is not too many nicer guys that you'll ever meet. Absolutely. So I came back and I cut it up and I played it for him and, not what they were looking for but just the opportunity to be able to experiment like that was absolutely fantastic so from grand rapids did you have aspirations to get back to detroit what was going on let take me back to that young donald walker what was going on in your head you're you're, you're at grand rapids do you have dreams of going somewhere else where was your head at my head was uh again i was young fresh out of uh, specs howard and it was my first time on my own and i'll be perfectly honest with you I got homesick and I wanted to go back to school at the time too, because prior to specs, I had tried going to college and I was one of those persons who was simply just not ready for college. It was an abysmal failure at that time. And specs was always my backup, which ended up becoming my primary. So after about a year or so up in Grand Rapids, I wanted to come home. Like I said, I was a little on the homesick side. I wanted to go back to school but I never, once you've had a bite of the apple, man, you can't right. ever get rid yeah. of that, that feel. So because I there really, back. there really is, I don't mean to interrupt, but there really is no, no occupation like working in radio. No, there isn't. And only people who worked it can understand it. When you say, when you say, I can't really describe it. You know, I, I still remember the moment I cracked open the mic in Grand Rapids for the very first time. I remember uh, I want to say it was Derek and the Dominoes was the song that I was getting ready to voice into. And I still remember my what I said in my very first break, which wasn't a whole lot, but my very first break. And I still remember potting up 
uh, the song after I finished my last word or my, my, my last uh, letter of my sound of my last word. I remember turning down the microphone. I remember checking, make sure my mic wasn't hot and I make sure all my key switches were in neutral. And then once I knew my board was completely neutral out, I remember jumping up out of my chair, high-fiving, <laughs> nothing in the air, but I was just dancing and screaming and yelling all around the studio because I did it. I was on the air. And you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And unless you've done it, you won't know it. And, and you know, uh, you said something that really sparked a thought. And it doesn't matter whether that's your first mic or you're, you've been in the business for 10, 20 years. When you are in front of, when you're about to go in front of a fresh mic, a new job, those butter, it's like the first day. You, that never goes away. No, sir. Absolutely doesn't. I, I'm telling you right now, I, I haven't been on a mic in, uh, forever uh this this computer screen is something of my mic and i'm having butterflies right now having a conversation with you knowing that this is going to be heard by thousands upon thousands of people yeah and what's more is when you're doing that when you are on the air and and you you do have some kind of success on the radio and you 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 have these aspirations and dreams of, of goals of doing maybe bigger markets did was that was that something that you thought of or was that just a pipe dream no, I, I was just so happy to be doing it. You know, my, I never really thought about, you know, I want to be in big time radio. I had a classmate though. Uh, his name is Alex Tier now. Uh, he was an awesome guy. And he, I think he had the big time radio bug from the time we were together in class. He was so excellent. He was the guy I chased after. And he ended up working Oh my God, he's he's still in radio now. Um, I think he's some high level exec in iHeartRadio, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he went programming WDRQ here locally. I think he programmed several stations here locally before moving on um, to to larger things uh, out of New York. I want to say at this point, uh, we talk from time to time. But for me, I was just happy to be able to do it, and then to come home and do it. And yeah. people in my own market hear no, we me. We are, yeah. Oh my gosh, talk about feeling like a celebrity. Even those weekends, it was still I was on the air, and you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that that's the thing. There's there's just there's, there's this. I don't know. It's it. Well, it's like you get we 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 work in the toy department. There's really that's the best analogy that I could. We work in the toy department. Yeah, you're right. Well, for me, it wouldn't be necessarily toys. To me, it would be working in a comic book store. There you go. That, yeah. that is, is that kind of feel that there's nothing it's nothing you can't ask me to do because I love every aspect of what it is I'm doing. So when you went to so when you less than three years after you graduated specs, you went back to be an instructor. Were you, what were you doing? Did you leave Grand Rapids to come back to to Southfield? I, I left, like I said, well, because I was homesick and I wanted to finish what I started with school. I'm, I'm one of those persons that, you know, once I lock into a project. I need to finish it, however long it takes me to do so. Uh, and plus, I, I made a promise to my grandmother then that I would get my my bachelor's. And so I enrolled in University of Detroit Mercy in the communications department. And I worked several part time jobs while I was doing it, one of which was on the air. But the other one, uh, a lab assistant position became available at Specs, And I could talk for two hours and more about my specs experiences, but I'll try and be concise to say 
I have never been in any institution then or now where I received so much and it built me up in so many different ways. I told Randy Z, who was the director of education when I graduated, I told him I would be back to work here at some point. I didn't realize how prophetic those statements were because it happened about three years later, like you said, I came in as a lab assistant part-time, which then parlayed into full-time lab assistant, which then parlayed itself into being a, an instructor. And then, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Now, when you became, when they made you an instructor, what were you teaching there? Because I, as you know, I taught there uh, in the mid 2000s. So it was years after you had left, but what was the curriculum like when you were teaching? I was teaching uh, first quarter studio operations, which was the best because I caught all the students fresh. Uh, they didn't have an opportunity to be find any disappointments yet. Everybody was excited. Even those students who knew they wanted to go into video, they were still just excited to be in the school. So uh, studio, basic studio operations. So, you know, that's, you know, introducing them to the board and what how the board works and what's a segue and posting up and just all radio fundamental, call it radio 101, if you will. And um, from there, I ended up teaching second quarter studio operations, which was production oriented, which production has always been my thing. I love audio production, which is probably why I'm in video now or made that transition easier. And then I taught commercial copywriting um, and uh, third quarter studio operations as well, more or less advanced radio for if somebody's looking for something more detailed about it. So I taught all of the audio classes for the first three quarters of specs. I never taught fourth quarter getting uh, students ready to uh, put their reel together or their demo tape together, excuse me, and get out into the field. So you you never taught that class then fourth mm -mm. quarter no you know it's interesting because nope. if you, you, you as you're talking because that when I started as an instructor that was one of my first duties is to teach that studio ops class in the evening and hmm. I always no, I, go ahead no go ahead I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't interrupt no, I was just gonna say because that class is so vitally important because it is the fundamentals it's the ABCs of broadcasting teach them how to run a board what you know what everything does you know how to feel comfortable posting up to do that thing to to get them not to act like they're Arthur P you know all these <laughs> things that, you, that you're responsible for but but as I progressed I, before I left I ended up teaching fourth quarter but I, I saw the gamut of it but I wanted to say is I find it interesting about the studio ops class because you say you taught that right at the beginning when you became an instructor, you were still teaching that when I came through as a student in 2000, which was just a year or two before you left the school. So I think that's interesting because what that job became, what that class became, Donnie, was that's the new person's class. And so really? what I find fascinating is I, I find I just think it's a testament to your ability to teach and give back because you recognize how very important that class was because it set the tone. Well, I, you know what? Um, I think you give me a little more credit than I probably deserve. I just enjoyed it and I never wanted to give it up. And it was, was the time you had all of the students, um, whether they were video or audio. So I had my I had an opportunity to touch everybody. By that time, later in my time at Specs, I'm director of education. And so I thought it was also a really good opportunity for students who were going to take the video track to still get to know me 
as director of education, find out a little bit about who I am. And, and so I would have some kind of connection should the students ever need to call on me or I need to call on the student for whatever reason. And uh, again, it was just so much fun. But then again, radio and doing what I love to do was already fun. So I, I tried to make it as much fun as I possibly could. Now, this is something that uh, this might be a little controversial, but I'm going to ask you this anyway, because when I was an instructor there, you know, you, you get to, to speaking of studio ops, that's the first quarter class. So you got 45 kids. That's before anybody drops out. You got 45 students teach, you know, that are coming into the class. And, you know, because the numbers are what they are, you know that, you know, a lot of them aren't going to do anything in the industry. But my question to you is more because as a student, when I come through there, I was wondering, okay, what makes me special? What makes me uh, think that I'm going to succeed in this industry where so many fail? And that was like a kind of a driving point for me and Bill McAllister, because as you know, we, we both came in through there together. And mm -hmm. he's, he's found a lot of great success in his own right. But as an instructor, I always found it difficult to give that 110% to the kids who were just obviously not there to learn a trade but maybe had to go to college or get kicked out of their parents' house or for some other reason other than that was what they wanted to do. How did you deal with those students who were there not necessarily to work in the industry or, or maybe just didn't have what it took to, to make it in the industry? I mean, how did you deal with those types of students? For me, that was kind of easy. Um, what your desire, your personal desire was, and I'll use you as an example. Um, you and I, I had Sean Belegian as a student. So yeah, I love Sean. Was a, Sean's as, great. As, a, as an example, too. So all I did was be me, and I gave you the best that I had. I felt that that was my responsibility as a teacher and as a servant in the classroom. Um, I honestly felt like when I came into class, I was there to serve whoever was sitting in front of me. Now, you know, we're all, we all have to be respectful one to another, but that notwithstanding, give him the best that I could possibly give. My grandmother, when I had a troublesome class that I could not figure out how to reach very early in my teaching career, uh, she was a teacher for Detroit Public Schools forever. And I went to her and I, I asked her, how do I deal with this? And she just looked at me and she told me, gave me two words and she said, to be kind. And I took that to say, show them love, give them the best part of who you are and let the rest handle itself. And so for, for me, whether it was a Sean Belegian or a Ron Robinson or a, I don't really give a care what it is that I'm doing person, I'm going to give you the best that I have. The rest will be up to you. Now, if you come to me and say, Don, I want more, well, then I'll dig deep and I'll find some more to give you. But if you say that, well, this is enough of what I'm getting, then that's fine. I've, I've done the best that I could do. I can only control me. And then that, that's where I left it. What about the kids who had the heart but just couldn't get over that hump and didn't, couldn't, couldn't get it? I'm sure you saw that, too. <laughs> My heart would break for them. Um, I, there were, I do remember students who they wanted it badly. And uh, I'm looking at them saying, there ain't no way in the world this kid is going to make it. Um, but I also, I, I was, I was humbled by that because there are several people who I looked at and said, ain't no way in the world they're going to make it. And then they got out there and they were so tenacious about it that they actually got jobs and they found their way into the industry and they had for them what was success. And I'm still friends with some of them on Facebook to this day. 
So, uh, it, it, again, it, everything centered around me just giving you everything I had. And then the rest fell where it was. And if you showed the heart, even if you didn't have the tools, I'm still in there with you. Let's let's do this. And you we'll know, go as far together as we possibly can. Both uh, former students and uh, instructors I work with, there's over a dozen people that are still in my life that uh, were in that period of my life. So it's just, it's just a magical place, not only radio, but that school. Yeah, it, it, it hurt my heart to hear that uh, they're being acquired by LTU. And I certainly hope that acquire doesn't, I mean, I shouldn't say acquire. They're supposed to be merging with LTU, but I hope merger doesn't turn into an acquisition. Yeah. I hope that what makes specs specs somehow or another still finds its way to live and breathe. And that, that magic can continue, can continue. Uh, and if not, then it'll continue to live and breathe. And those of us who, who walk through those halls and uh, are doing what we love to do, however we love to do it. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit about that later on. But uh, I do want to keep up with where we are. Uh, I want to ask you this. Um, as we talked about, you you became uh, the director of education. That's a different role. How, how Talk about, because it's one thing to be an instructor, but now that's a, that's a faculty issue too, right? I mean, wasn't your, 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 your duties expanded? How did you wear those two hats? It was interesting because I was the youngest member or at the time I was one of the youngest members on staff when I began to get my promotion so it's instructor to audio supervisor which is basically department head for the audio department and you had your video supervisor as your counterpart and then from there it's assistant director of education and then from there it's director of education so I, I worked my way up through all those levels and it was again different and challenging because now I'm, I'm talking to these same people on a different level who taught me. Many of those people who were there were my teachers when I was at Specs, especially early on. And I'm also talking to people who in some cases were old enough to be a parent to me as well. And so there were many conversations I would have with my parents about how do I manage this? How do I, how do I deal with this? And so it was a really great growing opportunity for me as a professional as an, and as an individual to learn how to work with people who were much older than I was at the time. Um, and a little bit of the fun went away because, you know, you're, you're now dealing with the vision of the school, at least from an education standpoint, and making sure you find people who you, and hire people who have something of what I felt I had um, in that classroom. Hiring the right kind of staff member or instructor became incredibly important to me because I knew what made that school special because I sat in the seat and then later on I, I taught and, and continued to teach in the classroom. And there was no way in the world I was giving up my classes. I made that perfectly clear. I'll take on these leadership roles, but I have to remain in the classroom I can't be disconnected from that. So um, it was awkward at times. Uh, I've only had to fire, if memory serves, two people, uh, one, of whom, one of whom I ended up working with years later. And now that was awkward, to say the least. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was awkward. But he ended up telling me later that he was very thankful for my firing him because it forced him to get himself in a different place and space 
and he 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 may not have done that had he stayed there. So, you know, that's that that is a good thing. And I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but I've always talked about, especially in broadcasting, you're going to run into the same people again. So you need to be respectful and, and you need to to be professional and you can't burn bridges. This is so key. And and this happened to me as in regards to specs. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but stop me if you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was a student at specs, I had, it was second or third quarter, Donnie hops. It was video, the news, the news, the TV news where we rotated from anchor ship to anchor ship. You remember that class? I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. I do. And uh, there was a, a student in my class that, uh, that was struggling and wasn't understanding what we were supposed to do next. And I was, locking them on kind of explaining it to them well that person walked right in front of me into because it was our turn to take the posts well he walked in walked to the anchor's desk and i walked over i think i was the camera i I don't remember what my job was but donnie hop says that i was late and i should sit down and take a zero now i'm not saying i would have handled this if i in the same way if i was in my early 20s but i went to specs when i was 30 i was a little bit more mature i didn't Mm -hmm. say anything i thought it was bullshit but i didn't Mm -hmm. say anything I kept, you know, and I took my zero and I, it really didn't matter. Cause I, you know, everything I did, I did was gusto. So I, I got, it's not like I didn't get good grades, but fast forward four or five years or however long was when I did come back to specs to, to interview for a job, I'm coming back to interview for a job. Guess who's in charge of hiring people? Donnie hops, Donnie hops. Mm-hmm. He cited that as one of the reasons that he hired me is how I handled that, like, very professionally. I didn't bitch. I didn't moan. I didn't cry. I took it. And he he, he said, I, I, I admired the way you handled that. I was like, well, that's good. And and that's happened several times in my career where you, if the way you handle something, it'll come back. And I'm sure you've seen that millions of times. Could you share a story or something that you've seen that, that would kind of amplify that point? Oh, my goodness. Um, first of all, you're absolutely right, and I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly – I wish you could see how I'm smiling right now that uh, that's you. You were a class act. You were a good guy, plain and simple. Um, And when you're a good guy like that, it shows up in even the worst kinds of circumstances. Um, Goodness. The the best example I can give of that actually is this. When I left Specs, I went to work for Detroit Public Schools, their community radio station, 90.9 WDTR. Uh, unbeknownst to me, at the time of my being hired, the uh, uh, administration already had plans for the radio station to be its operations to be farmed out to another entity. Uh, so I left Specs to start another career that, unbeknownst to me, was going to be ending in two years, uh, which is also right around the time I decided to get engaged, too. So all of a sudden now I find myself out of a job uh, and I find myself um, actually being contracted to hold the radio station so that I could hand over the job I just oh took my. to somebody else. And I distinctly remember having a meeting with uh, the then staff. And I told the staff, I said, listen, this radio station is about to change. And I said, I don't know what it's going to change into, but think of it as a butterfly or a caterpillar going into a cocoon to become a butterfly. I have no idea what the wings are going to look like when it comes out, but I promise you this. During this span of time, I'm going to do whatever is necessary so that when that butterfly comes out, I'm riding on those wings. And lo and behold, fast forward, everybody was, everybody was let go except for me. 
I was asked to retain, stay there, hold the position, keep the station secured, hand it over to then now uh, Detroit Public Television and uh, Classic Hits, uh, excuse me, Classic Radio 90.9 uh, WRCJ, there we go. And I worked with the then general manager and everything he asked for, I was doing. I was just working really, really hard to impress this man because I don't know. I didn't know what else to do. Mind you, just got married and trying to figure out what am I going to do to support my wife right. and two kids at the time. Scary. And um, he put in a good word with Detroit Public Schools to say lease management agreements require that there be a staff member from the ownership on site uh, in order for these management agreements to be legal and correct. So they then rehired me and I ended up working with air quotes for the radio station as then the production director, even though I was getting paid by uh, Detroit Public Schools. So had I not demonstrated that kind of attitude, I don't know that he would have made those recommendations. And I don't know that I'm sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in today. I'm a firm believer of life is 10% of what happens and 90% how you react to it. That's what my then general manager told me before she was let go. That's the nature of radio. That's the, we're, 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 we're blunt. We love punishment. I don't know. It's, but it's that (laughs) it's worth it that much to go through all, especially since 2000 things will change since the the millennial. Yeah, it it really, really has. And so I, I, I miss being on the air, but I don't miss radio. Um, if you, if you understand what I'm saying, I don't miss the business, but I miss the creative aspect, the, the audio production side of the fence. So, uh, that's why I, whenever I get an opportunity, I'll do some freelance voiceover work, anything to continue to work those chops a little bit along the way. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's when you love what you do, Ron, the bumps and the bruises don't really feel too much like bumps and bruises. And some of the hard knocks aren't quite as hard because you love what you do. And and that by itself, you know, I'm a man of faith. So to me, that's the blessing. To be able to love what you do and get paid for it too, that that that's wealth beyond wealth, if you ask me. Because there's a lot of people with a lot of money who are flat out miserable. Yeah. Okay. And I don't ever want to be one of those persons. And I've been able to take care of my family and take care of myself. And I haven't missed a meal. And you can definitely tell that by my side <laughs> now. <laughs> my life has been really good and and um I'll be, I'm 53 years old and people look at me and say, I, I can't believe you're 53. That's because I've been loving what I do for yeah. the last 30, 40 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it, it, it adds years to your life. Um, before we move on from specs, <clears throat> a couple things I want to ask you about. First off, you mentioned Dick Kernan earlier. Um, Dick Kernan, I miss that guy every day. Dick Kernan, and, and I, I think I've shared this story on this podcast, but when I first started, I was, it was my first month teaching at Specs Howard. I was teaching studio ops, as a matter of fact. I was still trying to find my way as an instructor. In kind of a lot of ways, I tried to emulate what, you know, what I learned from you because I respected you so much. But uh, again, fake it till you make it. Well, one night, Dick Kernan walks in. I'm, I'm taking role. He walks in and presents to me an MAB award that I didn't know that I had won for a story that I'd written when I worked at WSJM in Benton Harbor. 
Oh, wow. And you want to talk about getting street cred right from drunk jump? I mean, he presents me <laughs> this to, in front of this new class, my this award. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I didn't know, I, you know, it was it was great. But from then from that moment on, I just it it was I found it very easy, and and I just I just relaxed, and I just you know, do you have it a does. Dick Kernan story? Oh, do I have too many to tell? Um, it's it's more or less a, a combination of stories. Every time I needed to make a move in the industry, there was a conversation that I would have with Dick Kernan. And every time he would help me find another door and allow me to walk through it. I've had conversations when I walked in there and I was feeling down on myself. And um, Kernan, you know how bluntly he could speak to you. Uh, he would tell, basically he would tell you, walk and get up off your ass. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. You know you're good. You wouldn't be in the position if you weren't. Now go out there and make it happen. Right. And I'm like, yes, sir, Sergeant, sir. <laughs> and I would go out there and he always had the utmost of confidence in you if you were putting in the work. It didn't matter. I don't think he ever looked at you in terms of talent. He looked at you in terms of, did you put in the work ethic um, and the work effort? And if you did that, you were going to be aces with him. And I have never seen a person more solidly get the back of people than I have Dick Kernan. Um, and anything I ever asked of him, uh, he gave and he did. And he was when when I found out that he passed away, I'm I cried. I I, I was I cried. I was hurt. And I, I still a small part of me will remain hurt. He was a very pivotal person in my life professionally and personally. And, you know, for tens of thousands of people who went to Specs, they all have their own Dick Kernan stories. But what a career he had before he even came to Specs, because I mean he was the he was the program director of uh, of WRAF when they he was the program director of WRAF when they went to WRAF. Um, he yeah. hired Arthur P. Mm-hmm. Mike Drop. Uh, yep. And and but but to Dick's credit, he didn't rest on his laurels. Nope. He partnered with Specs, and. God bless Specs. I love him. I have a lot of respect for him. It's amazing what he's done, not only in broadcasting, but with the school. But that school would not be what it became if there was no Dick Kernan. Period. End of conversation. I agree with you 110%. Dick Kernan. So Specs might have been the uh, the brains of the operation, but Dick Kernan was the heart of the operation, if, uh, if I can put it that way. He made the, he, he made the connections. He developed the relationships. He, I'm, I'm certain he had a hand in the selection of hiring uh, some of the, the early staff members, like your Jim Bell, like your Tom Profits, and so forth, bringing those kinds of people on board. Um, and then while you bring, after you bring in the right people to keep the organism known as Specs Howard School, you know, alive and the heart beating, uh, we still got to keep phoning blood to it. So he's out there on, on the road on a regular basis, just talking with people. And that was that was his gift, man. It was his ability to talk to just about anybody about anything, ascertain kind of real quick who you are and what you're about and determine whether there needs to be, well, I need to move on from this or there's something greater we can do here and then make it, make that happen. He's a, he was a facilitator. He was a storyteller. He was a connector. Um, and, and he was always so happy about what he did because he loved what he did. Yeah. So he was a great example of it. And he was the one 
that said, the, the, going back, this is probably my best Dick Herman story. Walking into my classroom when I was a student and saying to the class, he wasn't looking at me, but you ever have one of those aha moments where it's like, wow. And all he said was, if you love what you do, you will never work a day in your life. And that has stuck with me, resonated with me to this very second. And it continues to be the mantra of how I want to live my professional uh, professional life. That's what Kernan was all about. Um, before we move on, one more thing. You just mentioned the man's name, and I don't get to talk to him uh, about him nearly as much. But another person that's been instrumental for thousands of people who've crossed the halls of Specs Hour, and that's Jim Bell. Yep. Yep. Oh, you gotta love. <laughs> Tell me your favorite Jim Bell story. Um, it was not a pleasant one. Um, it was when I first started teaching, and uh, I went into a classroom, and the students, and one in particular, was giving me a hard time. And uh, so I gave the student a hard time right back. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not very good at that kind of thing. So then she gave me a hard time right back again. And needless to say, I won the battle. I lost the battle. Excuse me, I lost the battle. So I, I told the class, you know, take a break. You know, and I had to walk out of the room because I was on fire. I was hot like fish grease. And um, so while we're on break, I go down and I'm talking with Jim about it. And I'm like, I'm just cussing and fussing about this particular student in this class and talking about how I handle things by coming at them, you know, this, that, and the other, and, you know, she's this, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. And Jim's just sitting there real quietly and he's looking at me. And then when I finished and I'm out of breath from yelling and carrying on, he's basically like, are you finished? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, Jim, you know, I'm right. Right. And he looked at me and said, no, you were wrong. I'm like, what? yeah, you were wrong. You shouldn't have handled it that way. Here's how you should have handled it. Do this, this, and this. And in the face of them acting crazy, you can't act crazy because you're going to lose that battle every single day. You were wrong. Oh, okay. Well, what should I do about it then? <laughs> and then he said, you need to apologize to her. I'm like, you out of your God, but mine, you must no, ain't no way in the world. He's like, Don, it ain't going to be right until you do it. You ain't going to be right until you do it. And I know. And I spent the rest of the day in the back of my mind with that class saying, no, Jim, ain't no way in hell I'm going to apologize. Right. Went home, thought about it. Next day, saw the student, apologized, was not forgiven. The student basically told me to go somewhere uh, and have a seat. Of course. But um, what Jim told me shaped my teaching from that point forward. Um, I, I handled myself in the face of students who didn't want to handle themselves professionally. I kept my cool. I always stayed on the good side of things. And I would not have done that if he wasn't so blatantly honest and truthful with me in that moment. Another one of those persons who has been with Specs um, since darn near the beginning, if memory serves, and um, just knew another people person. I don't know that you could be a really good teacher in general but certainly a teacher for this kind of industry and not be a people person. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've said this before and, and it's, I'll say it again. When I was a student at Specs, I learned a lot about broadcasting from Jim Bell. When I was a teacher at Specs teaching along with Jim Bell, I, I learned a lot about being a man from Jim Bell. Hmm. That's, that's, that's how I look at it. I really do. That's about right for me. So much so that he was a part of my 
my wedding party when I got married. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yep, Jim was there, and Tom Prophet was was there. Tom Prophet, another great, brilliant mind. Mm-hmm. And we we both of us have been very fortunate. There's been a, a lot of people. We had good people in front of us with good hearts, and 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 really cared about the industry and cared about us being in the industry, and we fed off of that and took it full advantage of, and that's probably a good reason why talent notwithstanding that we are where we are today i agree speaking of that in 2015 you uh you went back to specs as a student again this time uh, to learn the video side of broadcasting i couldn't believe because because about that time i was still like i said i i taught myself everything on the video side as far as watching youtube videos you went back to specs what talk about the decision that sent you back to your alma mater to teach to, to learn video if you will so uh, the, the short version of the story, if I can, if I can make it short, is I'm, I'm working for Detroit Public Schools in the communications department. I'm, as I mentioned before, I was the uh, on-site staff member for WRCJ, um, and I'm doing audio production for them. But as far as my work in the communications department, there's not a whole lot of need for an audio producer um, or production guy in a communications department. So I would do everything I could to make myself relevant. But over time, I could see myself moving further and further away from holding this job position. One day I'm in a meeting with uh, my bosses there and they say, it sure would be great if we could have some video of this event happening this weekend. And and they said, yeah, do we know anybody who can do that work? And I'm going to tell you, Ron, this is one of the few times I will say publicly that I told the biggest lie I've ever told in my life. Oh, boy. I raised my hand and told them I can do it. And I can't, I really can't tell you what prompted me to say that at that moment, but I raised my hand and said, I can do it. I said, all I need is a camera. And so they handed me this completely consumer grade camera with the condenser mic built in no XLR, nothing. The only connection to the camera was the actual power cord. It was as, it was like a half step up from an old Panasonic with the with the the, the, right. the, the, the the film popping out. So I take that uh, on a camera tripod, run out, and I videotape this event. This event. As I'm going there, I'm like, how the hell do I shoot this thing? I have never operated a camera since Spex Howard. Uh, so mind you, this is this is probably like 2008, I think. Um, 2008, 2009. So I, I I love movies. So I said, let me shoot this thing like I'm at, a, like I'm watching a movie. So I'm remembering rule of thirds, which is about the only thing I remember from video class. And so I'm shooting it, just making sure that shots are lined up, nothing looks crooked, and people are in the right, you know, part of the thirds. My mom, uh, I happened to buy a cheap seventy-five dollar family video editing system to do a, 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 a video edit for my mom, something she wanted done. And with the graphics that had the big bubble graphics on them with, for the fonts and such. Right. Um, and I had that sitting on my shelf, $75 off of Best Buy. It was the last thing sitting on the shelf. I grabbed that. I put the video, uh, I upload the video into the system. And then I'm sitting there like, how do I video edit this thing now? Uh, and all I could remember was control track, audio track, video track. Okay, this has got to be something similar to that. 
And I spent the entire weekend trying to figure out how to cut this video. Oh, my. And I basically closed my eyes and cut it like it was an audio production. I don't know if the video <laughs> matched up or not. <laughs> and, and then I put the best looking fonts on that I could. Again, we're talking fluorescent pink, lime greens and stuff like that uh, for lower thirds. And I packaged it and I gave it to them. And they said, this is fantastic. I'm sitting in my chair in such disbelief. Like, you got to be freaking kidding me. This is a bunch of crap. But they loved it. Wow. And they, from that point, they wanted more. And then finally, I said, listen, y'all, if you want this to be better, I need better equipment. So I ended up getting a Panasonic uh, HVAC HD camera camcorder. Right. Professional grade. I got, um, this is when I got introduced to Adobe Premiere. And the next thing I ended up doing was shooting a lot of press conferences. And lo and behold, spec students were always there uh, working as cameramen. And I leaned into my relationships with those students who I had taught, asking them, how do I do this? And they were so generous with their, their knowledge and their experience, teaching me about this, teaching me about that. And so finally, I said, you know what? I need to take this to the next level. And the only place in town that would teach it in a time frame that worked for me, I didn't want to spend the next four years going through college again. I'd already gotten my bachelor's by this time. And so I went back when they had, when I discovered they had the DNA program, I talked to Tony Chirac, who was uh, a counselor back at the time and one of my former students and then colleagues. And next thing I know, I'm in a DMA class and I'm eating this thing up like, like chocolate and it was the best thing in the world. And since that time, I've spent a lot of my days at the University of YouTube trying to enhance my skills here and there along the way and continue to tell stories in the in the world in the same frame of mindset of an audio production. It's worked so far. What was it like uh, walking the halls as a student coming back so many years later? That had to be weird. It was weirdly cool. I felt giddy just like I did back then. Um, some of the teachers knew me. Uh, and, you know, as, as, a, as a, uh, an alum of Specs previously, I asked them, please don't make a big deal about that. I'm, I'm here in this classroom as a student. You're the teacher. All deference is due to you. Um, and, and so they were kind enough to respect that, but eventually it began to get out. But I think my class respected me because I wasn't acting like some big know-it-all because I wasn't. I'm in there learning video just like a lot of them. And a lot of them already knew more than I knew. So I leaned into them. But it was just exciting to be back in that environment again, that creative environment, and be a kid again yeah. and be exploring a new side. Um, you know, I was tempted to go back a third time for the graphics program. I just didn't have the time nor the money, you know, for the added opportunity. Here's my video editing geek question for you. Is Didn't you find that it was just kind of an extension of the stuff we were doing with audio? Now you just had to add the video timeline? Absolutely. I still maintain uh, video without audio ain't nothing more than a silent movie. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to your gig as the uh, the PD for Multimedia at Detroit Public Schools. How has that role, how has that uh, job evolved over the years? Well, um, I stayed, I, I, I eventually became the videographer for the entire district. So the best part about my job was, again, uh, meeting people and connecting with people. And I'm doing 
these great stories about these great students. And so, you know, when people would talk about all the bad things happening in the schools, I'm, I, I would always say to them, I see a completely, totally different side. I'm interviewing, you know, scholars and athletes and, you know, children who've gone through crazy situations and are still overcoming and teachers doing all the, all these wonderful things and showing all this compassion and passion. Um, so editing became my thing. I'm not a shooter. I'll be the first one to tell you that. I don't have the patience for being a really good shooter, but I will sit down and spend the entire day editing without a problem. I love putting the pieces of the puzzle together and telling the story in that way. And um, it's since morphed to, I no longer work for the communications department. For the last three years, I've been the director of multimedia at Detroit School of Arts, a media program there. And in a nutshell, I'm responsible for the restoration of the uh, studios at DSA. It's a $4.5 million project that I'm working on, and we're now uh, getting ready to go out and look for fund funders to help us uh, raise the money. When we do, we will have a facility that will be second to none and will be utilized as it should have been many, many years ago by students for the community and everybody gets a win-win. It's a, it's a huge passion project that I'm working on and so satisfying and gratifying. But I also oversee internships, working with students to get internships. Uh, I work with our partnership with Detroit Public Television, which we renewed, uh, utilizing their skill sets. I'm involved with recruiting uh, students into DSA for our program. So I, I've developed a, um, a middle school media feeder program where we're going to be implementing media programs in several different pilot middle schools uh, for the sole purpose of starting children's awareness of digital media uh, and video production a lot sooner. I'm hoping to start grooming the next generation of content creators and content decision makers because there's so much of that out there. We need to be able to see this world through the lenses of everybody not just one particular group, but every group, every color, every gender, it doesn't really matter because there's so many wonderful ways to tell stories and so many different perspectives from which to tell them. So we, we need to see the full breadth and scope of that, um, whether they're news, whether there's something on Hulu or Disney Plus, or whether it's, um, you know, a, a movie of some kind, it doesn't matter. That's cool. You're still giving back. Um, and as if you're not busy enough, Donald Walker, you are also a Farmington Schools trustee. Talk about this new chapter in your life. Yeah, it, it was unfortunately birthed out of a lot of negativity. Um, the short version of it is there's, uh, and, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say, but it, it's it's reality. There have been a number of high pro, highly profiled uh, racial incidents in Farmington, Farmington Hills, uh, dating back to at least 2016 that I'm aware of, uh, where some of our, our students of color run into some very bad situations. The most recent one was right before um, COVID in 2019, where a young man was called the N-word by one of his uh, uh, white female teachers. Um, at first, I was involved in some community efforts to try and bring some measure of uh, uh, reform to our, our school and then someone hit upon the notion and thought that I might actually be a good board member. It was running up on the, that year when there were uh, two seats coming available. Um, so I ran, I, I, I gave it a lot of thought. 
And uh, I ran and unfortunately I did not win. And our board president then resigned, our superintendent resigned, and one of the other board members who was slated to end his term decided to resign early. That left two positions. And um, by January, that school board president position was still remaining open. And um, uh, several of us interviewed for the position and I was appointed by the, uh, the Farmington board. And here I sit now um, trying to bring equity and fairness and uh, let me get rid of those crazy buzzwords. I just want to create a, see a situation where students have a very safe and nurturing environment in which to find their best versions of themselves. I got that from specs. I got that from in several of my classes on a collegiate level. And I remember the teachers who created that environment for me uh, from high school all the way through. No child, I don't care who he or she is, don't care what color of the spectrum they happen to be, don't care what their gender preference is or any of that stuff. No child ever needs to be in a situation where they don't feel safe and they don't feel comfortable to be the best versions of themselves and learn how to, to connect to that. If we don't do that, we're robbing people, we're robbing our future. And I just wanna do what I can to make sure every single child has that opportunity. Well, I just can't believe we're in 2021 and people are uh, having to deal with people treating them a certain way over something they have no control over. I think it's ridiculous. So it is, uh, it, it, it is. And, and having had to suffer through that myself, I do understand that. Um, and, and I feel for that. Uh, we live in some crazy times and uh, there's some things about our current world that quite frankly scare me, but um, you know, not to politicize our conversation. We just, we ha we have to be true to our values and we have to stand by them and um, but also be welcoming and opening to differences and um, and accepting and respecting of people. I don't need to, uh, agree with every aspect of your life, Ron, in order for me to respect you as a human being um, and and uh, treat you as such. That is just that simple. We can get along. We can get along if we can get down to some of those bases. But sorry for me getting on my soapbox. Oh, that's okay. Um, what's next for Donald Walker? Wow, uh, this passion project at at my job, uh, at DSA, getting those studios online. Uh, from a personal point of view, there is uh, I have my own company that I'm trying to breathe some life into where I can squeeze time. And that's uh, the Don Walker media group. And uh, my, my organization, my group, my company is really about trying to find um, good stories to tell social awareness, um, telling good stories about good people, trying to do good things, uh, lifting up marginalized groups, sharing different perspectives Though that kind of storytelling, and that's the kind of stuff that fires up um, my bones when I'm in when I'm editing. So one of the things I want to do, and I keep saying it until one day I'm gonna have to hold myself accountable for either doing it or not, is I want to do a documentary about black fathers and black fatherhood. We just had a wonderful movie by Kevin Hart uh, called Fatherhood. Great flick. It's on Netflix. Oh my god! It, it, I laughed and and I didn't. I can't say I cried. I was too busy identifying with right. the things he was feeling <laughs> along the way. I'm, I'm not a single dad by any stretch of the imagination. I'm blessed to 
I'll be celebrating 16 years of marriage to Tara later on uh, this year. Congratulations. Thank you. But being a father and the, fear, the, the, the worries and the fears and the concerns, I feel them all day long. And uh, as far as Black fathers are concerned, it's just a side that I don't know that we see as much. And I, I'd like to think I could bring a perspective in terms of trying to find and talk to other great dads that I know. Uh, I am the son of a great dad and I'm the son of a great mom. And um, I just want to show that and share that with whomever might be willing to listen to it and to view it. So one of these days, I got to get the courage up to go ahead and make that happen. And uh, you've already encouraged me well, prior good. to coming on this podcast. So I'm going to listen to you, sir. Well, I, I student can be that. the teacher quickly. <laughs> We're all students, aren't we? Yes, sir. If we don't, if we don't realize that, we're, that's when we start getting in trouble. Um, this is Radio Days, the podcast. So one last thing before I let you go, Donald, getting back to the medium of radio. Um, if uh, We're going to put our make-believe hats on. If you could change, uh, if you were in charge and could change one thing about how terrestrial radio operates today in 2021 so as to make it better, to a better product, get more people to listen, what would you do? How, would, how can radio garner more listeners in today's climate? I th- we need to get back to being local, even more local than we might think we are. We need to get back, get away from these company-ran conglomerates who generate a playlist somewhere in New York and have no idea what the people in Detroit are listening to uh, in the bars and, and on the street corners and things of that nature and bring that back as a part of what made listening to Detroit radio different from listening to New York radio, different from listening to radio in Atlanta and so forth. We need that kind of on the boots on the ground programming, I think will really, really impact us. And we need personality back on the radio. We, we, we need more than people just reading liner cards. We need people who really have skits and, and, and do funny things and are, know their communities and talk about things in their community from a fun and humorous and sometimes serious perspective that makes radio personable again that if I, I if i could wave my magic wand i would do that and i'd bring back overnights and weekends so that you have this wide range of different personalities to listen to and you would have a ground that would be a little bit more fertile for people to continue to bring in the next generation you know you just touched on something and i i recently sat down with jill forsyth former of 99.5 ycd and she was talk she was talking about uh, voice tracking specifically and how it's, in her opinion, it's really damaged it. And when you break it down, it's not the voice tracking per se that I think is kind of watered down broadcasting. But what you just said is 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 it's all, and I remember voice tracking at my last uh, gig in at KMAG in Fort Smith, Arkansas, where I'd voice tracked everything. And so if you flubbed or you made a mistake, what would you do? Start, stop all over again. Right. Look but. At it. But I think if the people who are successful will leave those mistakes into their little voice track breaks because it adds a human element. No one wants to hear a computer. But everybody is so vain that, oh, I, I don't want to come across sounding stupid. But I think it takes the human element out of it. It, it does. Uh, it, it, I think maybe that's why podcasts are beginning to take off like they are because podcasts gives you the personality you're lacking on the radio. And it allows you to get a deeper dive into subject matter that I, I don't think corporate would allow you to do on the radio. So I think podcast is the answer 
um, to the question that you proposed on how you make radio better, you, you allow for this personalization. You allow for mistakes. You allow through podcasting for people to talk exactly like they want to talk. So if they want to curse, let them curse. If they want to talk heavy about sports, we can do that too, or whatever it happens to be. And you can be real human and having a conversation that people can listen in on or just listen to a subject matter expert. It doesn't matter. Um, I used to love listening to Mason because he was a community guy and he was funny as all get out. And the best thing was getting on the school bus back in the day was you hear what Mason talked about today. Yeah. You know, when we don't do that anymore because everything is so sterile and, and scripted and, and it doesn't, if it if the subject matter itself doesn't have a really deep connect, you got to make it have a connect as a listener, whereas it was the other way around. We had to, as the professionals, find a way to make it have a connect with our listeners. The closest thing to that right now to me is sports talk radio, which is what I listen to uh, in terms of terrestrial radio. I listen to that, 20, you know, all every time I get into the car. Right. But when it comes to music radio, I don't listen to that anymore. I'm on YouTube um, music, pulling down tracks of old old stuff and creating playlists so I can hear what I want to hear. Right on. Donald, thank you so much for joining me today. I've, I've really enjoyed this. This has been so much fun. I have enjoyed it more than I can tell you, and I am so honored to uh, be a part of this podcast and so proud of you and everything oh. that you're doing, man. You're an awesome guy, and awesome things need to continue to come in your direction. Much obliged, sir. You take care of yourself. All the best to you and your, your your bride and your family. I appreciate you. Same to you and yours. Thanks again, Donald. And thank you for tuning in for Radio Days, the podcast. And of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, 101 Years of Radio. That's coming later this year. Again, if you'd like to help out and become a producer for this movie, click on the heart. Uh, or you can find that information, uh, the PayPal or Patreon link at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, um, today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, professional photography, maybe you had headshots, what about drone photography or video? Head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. You can also help out the movie by buying uh, merchandise from ronrobinsonstudios.com. Uh, just click the store. Click store, and it'll take you there. Tune in next week for another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go. All the plants are going to die. <laughs> <laughs>